Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, uh, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today I get to speak with a colleague of mine from the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, uh, Dr. Sylvia Schwartz. She is a research fellow at the OCHS. I'm on the continuing studies side of things, and she is uh, on the serious research side of things. So, (laughs) Sylvia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raj. Many thanks for inviting me and proposing this interview. Very grateful and happy. It's our pleasure. A very uh, fascinating fascinating and important work. We'll be talking about um, Sylvia's brand new uh, Rutledge publication called Goddess Traditions in India, um, Theological Poems and Philosophical Tales in the Tripura Rahasya. Um, This publication is part of the um, uh, Rutledge's Hindu Studies series. I had the good fortune of having uh, both my academic monographs published that series. And it only became known to me after joining the OCHS that series is very much related and connected with historically the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. So it's fascinating. Um, now your work, um, do you want to tell us a bit about the backstory? How did this project emerge for you? Well, in fact, I came across uh, this text, the Tripura Rahasya, um, during my MA studies so long ago. Um, In fact, it was the topic of my MA thesis. Uh, But then I put it aside after I finished, and it remained in my drawer for many years, uh, because later on during my academic life, I, I... um, got interested in Pancharatra, so another tantric tradition, a Vaishnava tantric tradition, whereas the Tripura Rahasya belongs to the uh, is a Shakta tantric tradition. Um, uh, and uh, so when I when I finished my PhD, which was on on a Pancharatra text, I thought that um, to this Tripura Rahasya, I did not. Uh, devoted the uh, attention which it deserved because it is, I think, a very interesting text. So I decided to take it up again and uh, study it more seriously. In fact, in in this book from my old thesis, practically nothing (laughs) survived. So I I start uh, fresh uh, studying on it. So this is how it... And then I I submitted uh, the project to the um, Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies and they were interested in it. So, in fact, uh, the book is uh, the outcome of this research project. Are you working in tandem with the Shaktism project at the OCHS? I believe believe there's a Shaktism research uh, group at the OCHS. Is that in tandem with with the group? Uh, well, 
this project was within the uh, so-called uh, Shakta Traditions Research Program. And we had uh, in the um, past um, five, five, uh, four or five years, several symposia. And uh, during these symposia, I presented uh, some per partial outcomes of my research when it was uh, uh, still in progress. So of course, the exchange of ideas with the colleagues of the center uh, during this symposia have, um, have been give, given me precious uh, suggestions, uh, criticism, but the, the work itself, it is uh, just, uh, how can I say, one. Independent. One Yes, yes indeed. At some point, I should like to perhaps have someone from the Shaktism group on the podcast, and we can we can help raise awareness about that important work uh, that they're doing there at the OCHS. Um, now, the Tripura Rahasya, how would you locate this within Hinduism? Is this a popular text? Is it of a particular bent? Now, where does this fit into Hinduism, would you say? Mm-hmm. Well, Tripura Rahasya means uh, the secret doctrine of the goddess Tripura. Um, it is uh, a work uh, certainly affiliated with the uh, Tripura tradition, which is also uh, known as Srividya, um, which is a living tradition, uh, rather ancient because uh, it originated uh, the, the tradition itself in Kashmir around the 11th century. And then it spread and flourished in the South India. Uh, and the Tripura Rahasya is a South Indian work, uh, relatively late. Uh, so I, I, I have proposed a probable uh, date of composition uh, between the 13th and the 16th century. It is uh, rather a large span, but in fact, the Tripura Rahasya proved to be influenced by earlier sources of the tradition, but it has not left any trace in terms of uh, quotations in the later related literature. It is a, um, so, if not popular, certainly well-known work, uh, because it was also translated uh, into several local languages. And, uh, um, but um, it did not, uh, it was not the object of the scholarly study up to now. Uh, the, it, there are two extant uh, sections of the work, uh, a Mahatmya Kanda, uh, which is the section uh, devoted to the celebration of the majesty of the goddess, uh, and the Gyana Kanda uh, section of knowledge uh, devoted to the doctrinal issues. Uh, the first uh, section uh, is very, very little known. Um, there is a, a recent uh, tra translation, but not as not very reliable, I must say. Uh, whereas the Gyanakanda is much better known, and it has been translated into even Western languages, into French, into English. So it is a rather well-known text. And would one characterize the text? Um, by any particular sectarian lines. So of course, you're, you're you've touched on Sri Vidya. So for those who study, you know, Hinduism in a general sense or even beyond Hindu studies, would we think of this as a Shakta text, as a Sri Vidya text, as a, you know, how would we characterize it in terms of uh, sectarian lines? Mm 
well, certainly Shakta, certainly Tantric, and certainly belonging to the Sri Vidya. So there are evidence in the text uh, testifying to this uh, affiliation. But nevertheless, it is uh, rather a typical text. Uh, because um, whereas most, most Tantric texts, for example, from the formal point of view, they are written in a technical, often encoded language, whereas the Tripura Rahasya, um, its author or authors, it's not difficult to say, and <laughs> um, um, de uh, deal with um, ritual and doctrinal elements of the Srividya through the means of a literary and poetic language. Uh, for instance, uh, in the Mahatmya Kanda, through mythic, um, quasi epic narratives, uh, through um, very high quality uh, stotras, so hymns of praise, uh, which have a theological contents. And in the Gyana Kanda, there are uh, these uh, sapiential dialogues, um, philosophical tales, allegorical tales. Uh, so the, the text is very enjoyable and uh, of very high quality from the literary point of view. So it is a pleasure to read it, whereas many tantric texts are uh, very rich, but uh, so difficult and sometimes a, a bit dry from the point of view of, of the style. Is this the first sustained scholarly discussion on this text? Where, do, where, does, the, where does your work fit into the scholarship on the text? Uh, well, no, I think uh, a, a scholarly study on the text uh, is the first one. There is um, among the um, translations into Western languages of the Gyana Kanda, the, I think what was more, more helpful for me was the French translation by Michel Hulin published in uh, Paris in uh, 1979. It has an introduction. Uh, with um, also it is an annotated translation. So that is that was yes, a scholarly, but it was not a monographic a monography on the text. It was a translation of the Kiana Kanda, a well annotated translation with, with an, a general introduction. But it did not draw many um, parallels for, for example, uh, with the sources. Because what I have tried to identify in my book is the influences of several sources, both tantric and Puranic, which helped shaping the, the work. So um, two questions come to mind. Um, uh, you could answer them in whichever order you'd like. Initially, I was going to ask you um, about your knowledge of living traditions surrounding the text, those who, I realize that this is a textual project and maybe we should talk about that in, the, in a bit, but, but uh, is it a popular text in the life of Hinduism today? Well, I think so. Um, uh, I did not, uh, um, so my, my, my study was uh, more textual than, uh, so to speak, um, 
I wouldn't say anthropological, but in the sense uh, I did not uh, do uh, field work. So I, I know I know about uh, the fact that it is a living tradition from from the. Uh, studies of other scholars. Uh, for example, there are two, um, two books by um, Renfrew Brooks, uh, who, who wrote uh, two books. Uh, uh, one is Auspicious um, Wisdom, which is a, well, uh, one could discuss perhaps the way he translated Shrividya. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Shrividya is the uh, how is the name of the um, main mantra of Tripura, mantra of the goddess is called Shrividya. Uh, and then another book uh, he wrote previously devoted to a particular text of the traditional Tripura Upanishad. So in these two books uh, he deals uh, quite in detail uh, about the the. The living tradition of the text. Something which one may note is that although um, the doctrinal, the philosophical background of the Srividya tradition is certainly um, um, definitely influenced by the non-dualistic uh, Kashmirian Shaivism, particularly of the so-called Trika, so the school of Abhinavagupta and his Predecessor and successor. Um, so the the philosophic the the philosophy behind is a what can a can be defined a realistic idealism. Uh, nevertheless, the the uh, um, Tripura uh, cult was adopted and propagated in South India by the Shankaracharyas, so who somehow superimposed they illusionism of their Advaita Vedanta on this tradition. But this, I think it is a, a later development. And, uh, and the Tripura Rahasya is, the, is either before this later development of, uh, in terms of time or certainly outside of these, this tendency. Can you tell us a bit about what texts or traditions influenced the composition of the Tripura uh, of the Tripura Rahasya? What do we see evidence of? Well, um, first of all, the uh, seminal sources um, of the Tripura tradition, um, which are the two Kashmirian work, the Nitya Shodashikarnavatantra and the uh, Yogini Hrdaya which are very much related to each other. The first is uh, more ritual, and the second is much more uh, speculative and esoteric. And uh, um, definitely um, both the philosophy um, of the Tripura Rahasya was influenced by the philosophical ideas of the Yogini Hrdaya, and especially um, the treatment of the uh, Sri Chakra, so the chief uh, um, yantra of the, the, the sacred yantra of the goddess Tripura, uh, which in the Tripura Rahasya is, uh, that is a peculiarity of this text, is somehow transposed into a narrative element. Um, especially in, in the narration of the deeds of the goddess Lalita, is considered to be the main form of Tripura, main manifestation of Tripura. Uh, so um, the way in which the, the Yogini Hrdaya, uh, which is such a, 
esoteric text which explains the uh, the the secret meanings of the yantra and uh, also illustrates the um, ritual practices of meditation by which this mantra should be meditated upon and worshipped. So the Tripurarahasya somehow retains the pattern of the Sri Chakra, but uh, not going into detail uh, about uh, its uh, esoterical meaning. And then um, coming to the, to the um, since I, I have um, um, mentioned uh, the um, narrative way in which these elements are, are dealt with, uh, a Puranic source, uh, which definitely influenced the Tripura Rahasya, is the Lalitopakyana, which is the last uh, portion of the Brahmanda Purana, uh, quasi-independent section uh, of this uh, huge Purana, and which is uh, all devoted to the uh, celebration of the deeds of the goddess Lalita. So there are many similarities. And in my, in my book, I have uh, made a comparison uh, of the of the two works, so these are the main uh, texts which influence. But there are also other sources, also belonging to different traditions. For example, the the Yoga Vashishta. So it, the Yoga Vashishta proved to have perhaps not directly, indirectly influenced um, the especially the the framework. Um, the way in which the dialogues are um, are conducted, and and also some ideas of the some of the illusionism of the Yoga Vashishta is is uh, emerges sometimes in the in the Tripurasa. So these are, I think, the the three main sources. Based on your particular research, could you say? a word about the relationship, uh, the interplay between philosophy, theology on one hand and narrative story. You say a word about how, uh, how they're related. Yes. Well, um, I think one, one may distinguish the, the two sections of the work, which are related uh, especially related um, uh, because uh, they are inserted in a single frame story. Um, and the main character of the frame story uh, are uh, Datatreya, who is the spiritual teacher, and Parashurama, the pupil. Uh, so the frame story is the same for the two sections. But um, the um, respective uh, treatment of the ideas um, is a bit different. So in, in the Mahatmya Kanda, um, uh, the theological, uh, philosophical teachings uh, emerge, uh, especially in the hymns of praise, in the stotras, and in some uh, dialogues between the the, the main uh, characters. Um, the Gyana uh, Kanda, the um, instead doctrinal issues are brought to the fore, and they are the the main 
so it is a philosophical dialogues where Parashurama asks uh, questions about the ultimate reality, about uh, uh, Tripura is a, um, at the same way, um, a divine figure with, uh, with uh, even iconographical uh, characteristics and with, uh, um, how can I say, a, a, a mythic story. But at the same time, she's uh, identified with the supreme consciousness, with the energy of consciousness. So her um, physical and metaphysical features are blend together. So in the Jnana Kanda, the metaphysical features are uh, predominant Whereas in the Mahatmya Kanda, uh, it is her um, more approachable um, aspect, approachable to the devotees. So the, in fact, the, the two sections of the work from the point of view of the path towards liberation of the devotee are considered to be the first step and the second step in the sense that first one should uh, hear um, uh, of the deeds of the goddess in order to uh, cultivate uh, devotion. And then through devotion, uh, the devotee will get her uh, divine grace. And this grace will enable the devotee to, uh, uh, to follow the most difficult part of the revelation of her doctrine which is revealed in the Gyanakanda. Well, I don't know whether, whether I have answered uh, systematically because <laughs> well, well, um, <laughs> I made some digressions. One of, the, um, one of the features of this podcast uh, uh, is that my questions are always meant to be generative more than limiting or confining or conclusive because you never quite know what the author will say in that moment. And oftentimes things come. So no, it's, it's a conversation. There's no, there's no final exam. So you're okay. Um, <laughs> um, one, I tend not to talk shop, so to speak on the podcast in terms of getting into the, the nerdy details for the sake of a, a more public audience. But, but one of my great interests, my own personal interests in um, looking at, Sanskrit narrative, Puranic narratives, the Devi Mahatma, etc., is uh, frames, the power of frames, the significance, um, the import of frame narratives. And of course, this is entirely ancillary to, to, to your contribution, but I'm curious as to whether you can surmise why this conversation takes place between Dattatreya and especially Parashurama, because Parashurama has a, a very vibrant and perhaps even um, 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 controversial career <laughs> as an axe-wielding Brahmana who wipes out, if I'm not mistaken, 21 generations of Kshatriyas. <laughs> and so I do, you know... It, it, is there any um, symbology in common with, for example, Parashurama and the narrative of the text, the content of the text? Well, in fact, uh, Parashurama is um, depicted uh, at the very beginning of the, um, the frame story, uh, at the beginning of the Mahatmya Kanda, at the end of his career, if I can say, of uh, Brahman warrior. And uh, he's depicted as a man uh, tormented um, also by remorse of having killed so many innocent because he killed also women, children, 
Kshatriyas, and uh, he's depicted in a melancholic uh, state of mind, a melancholic mood, um, if we can uh, use a modern word, uh, depressed. And uh, uh, in this state of mind, he's, he's uh, wandering about, uh, looking for something which can relieve his sufferings. And he, meet, uh, he meets first a sage, Sambarta, um, who is uh, portrayed as um, a tantric ascetic, uh, also with the antinomian behavior of the Pashupatas for certain features. And they have um, an initial short conversation and Parashurama is not able to understand what, what uh, Sambarta is saying, although um, in these few um, passages of the uh, Sambarta discourse, uh, one can see in a, in a nutshell um, the, the, the teachings uh, which will be revealed later on. Then Sambarta sent him to Dattatreya, and Dattatreya accepted him as a pupil and began his teaching. Um, so um, it is in this respect that I found uh, a first similarity with the Yoga Vashishta because the, the uh, Prince Rama uh, at the beginning of the Yoga Vashishta also comes back from a, a pilgrimage and uh, um, looks um, not uh, interested in um, anymore in the life of the court not willing to, to take up his duty of future king. And, uh, and so Vashishta instructs him uh, in order to, to, to making him uh, uphold his, his future duty. So the, the two, the Parashurama and Rama um, are both in a sort of a tar a turning point of their uh, life. And uh, whereas um, Parashurama is at the end of his, um, of his uh, life of warrior, Rama is just at, at the beginning of his life of, of monarch. So for both of them, uh, the teaching of the Jivan Mukti, so the liberation while still alive, will be uh, fundamental because uh, it will allow them to uh, take part in the ordinary life, to remain in the world, uh, to accept their respective uh, duties, which is uh, more, even more clear in the case of Rama, but with an inner uh, state of mind which is liberated so with the awareness of their the ultimate identity between their individual consciousness and the supreme consciousness so the the frame story is important in the sense that it it gives uh, in the tripura it gives also a particular flavor uh, also to the dialogues Usually in the tantric text, the two dialogists are Shiva and the goddess, so are divine. Uh, here uh, they are human, and um, even in the philosophical stories, uh, the, the characters are almost uh, always human, and their doubt, their uh, 
torment, their uneasiness uh, are something which uh, any even any modern reader can understand. So their questions are the questions we we would also ask. Well, thank you for indulging the question. Um, to, 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 to me, the frames are the frame narratives are um, are um, lenses, right? Lent, tradition is supplying lenses through which they're suggesting one adopt or, or examine this text. Probably most famously, the, the frame of the Bhagavad Gita, for example, yes. the frame of any narrative. They're always framed. The, the teachings are always framed by a situation. Right. Yes. And that situation um, is, in my view, it's, it's, it's crafted as a lens whereby we can, we can see how tradition wants to position the text, the power of the text, utility of the text, the purpose of the text. Um, fascinating. Now, what would you say, what's the, um, what's the main argument of the book? What's the central thrust of your work? Of the Triple Rahasya or of the book? of the book? Well, I tried to, uh, to, to make this text uh, better known and um, to understand, to interpret it. Um, I think, uh, but I have, a, I have already uh, said it in maybe not such a direct way. So the, the main uh, outcome uh, are first uh, um, uh, to uh, draw attention on the formal features of the text. Uh, so it's literary form. And the second is how um, the, the authors of the Tripura Rahasya uh, re-elaborate um, the ideas drawn from different sources in an original way, and especially in, in their uh, Shakta perspective. So it is um, to show also the um, inclusivism of this text, the syncretism also. A syncretism which is not a patchwork, uh, but uh, the author was able to, uh, to offer a coherent picture out of the material which um, he or they have used. It strikes me as not at all dissimilar to the Devi Mahatmya. Mahatmya I know much better, where there's the presentation of, there's a cogent presentation of a, a feminine face, uh, a, a goddess, but drawing on various um, precursors, various strands. Um, when you talk about the literary features of the text, what do you note? What are the literary features? Well, I said in the in the Mahatmya Kanda, uh, the narratives are um, very Puranic-like narratives, um, and the stotras uh, certainly uh, mark some um, important uh, moment of the narration. And uh, in the um, Gyana Kanda, the uh, dialogue is um, interspersed by uh, these uh, philosophical and allegorical tales, and uh, which uh, recall the, um, the technique of the uh, classical narrative literature, such as the Katasarit Sagara, and uh, so the same kind of stories uh, within the stories where the characters of one story tell 
another story and so on in into boxes like like in the in the classical narrative literature so the text uh, uh, draw from different literary traditions the tradition of the scototra stotras the tradition of the puranas the tradition of the kavya as well fascinating now um what would you say is the central thrust or theme if any of the actual work what would you say the central messages of the Tripura Rahasya are? Well, the, the philosophical message is uh, the possibility of a liberation in this life and in this world. Um, and um, this is possible um, within, I think, a non-dualistic outlook in the sense that um, the goddess Tripura is the embodiment of the supreme consciousness or better of the energy of consciousness um, because uh, it is a Shakta text but uh, Shakta Shaiva as the Shaiva text are Shaiva Shakta so it is difficult so the goddess is, uh, has uh, her counterpart and uh, she's united with Shiva and, and uh, um, so um, thanks to this um, non-dualistic um, uh, perspective uh, which uh, is um, at every level of uh, reality so at the divine level uh, is um, the, the union of Shiva and Shakti, in this case, Tripura, Tripura Sundari and Bhairava. And at the cosmic level is the relationship between the Godhead and the cosmos. Uh, at the individual level is the relationship between the individual consciousness and the supreme consciousness. So um, when... Um, the Tripura Rahasya um, advocates um, uh, the idea that uh, the Supreme Consciousness is, is the sole reality, but it is the whole reality, in the sense that the world exists insofar as it is a manifestation of the Supreme Consciousness. So in this sense, it is endowed with the same uh, ontological status of the Divine Consciousness. So with this conception, liberation uh, can be achieved in this life because it is uh, an awareness, an act of awareness uh, of being part of this reality. It's not, it's not, liberation is not a union, union with the divine which can be achieved after death, but it is uh, intellectual and as well as a mystical um, achievement uh, of, of identity more than union with the Godhead. So the message is, uh, I think, is this the possibility of um, liberation uh, now and here? And, and uh, what is the philosophical background which is consistent with this concept of liberation? And for those listening, just a teeny bit of background for our more uh, general 
audience. Uh, this is of great debate in the Indic world, in the in the Hindu world. There are strands of thought which posit, you know, all strands will posit that we are stuck in the cycle of samsara, and then the goal is is uh, the goal is is freedom therefrom that's occasioned by knowledge into the the supreme, into the divine, into the atman in some traditions. Uh, while that's the backdrop for all things Indic, so to speak, uh, there's debate about, uh, and I'm just contextualizing this for the broader audience, there's debate about whether or not one needs to exhaust one's final life before having liberation or moksha, or whether one can be liberated and fully awake, fully liberated, fully one with the Supreme, while yet in a body sometime in their presumably final incarnation. And, and this is, this is a debated issue. Could you say a little bit um, about how typical or atypical this position of the Jivan Mukta is and where else do we see this aside from the uh, Tripura Rahasya? Well, I, I think um, in the um, Kashmirian Shaivism, the non-dualistic Shaivism, uh, you also have this. Uh, but in fact, uh, even beyond Hinduism, also in Buddhism, uh, there is the idea that you can achieve nirvana uh, while still alive, as Buddha did as first. So perhaps uh, very generally speaking, in the uh, some of the um, uh, theistic uh, approaches, uh, especially in um, Vaishnavism, uh, there is more the idea of a union with the God, which can be realized only after death. Um, even remaining within the Tantric tradition in Pancharatra, it is like that. So you cannot have, there is not, no, no, no possibility of, of uh, uh, liberation in life in Pancharatra. So I, Perhaps the, 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 it is not a, too a broad distinction, is uh, between non-dualistic and dualistic philosophical um, background. So the, the, the dualistic are, um, will envisage liberation as something which will happen after death, whereas the non-dualistic or monistic um, can... can uh, accept the idea of a liberation while still alive. Do you want to say a quick word about the structure of your book? Yes. So after an introduction where I uh, provide some general information about the text, there are three parts. Uh, the first uh, devoted to mythical and ritual matters, if I can so. The second on the uh, philosophical and theological teachings, and the third is a synopsis of the um, Mahatmya Kanda, which is the less known portion of the work, uh, with the many um, selected passages and all the stotras uh, translated and annotated. So this is the just the the, the structure. Uh, valuable. Quite valuable for anyone studying this text, of course. Now, who else might this be of benefit to? What sorts of scholars or readers or folks might most benefit from this work? 
Well, I hope, <laughs> because the author can only hope, <laughs> that uh, students and scholars interested in the Sri Vidya, first of all, in the Shakta traditions, in the Tantric traditions, and also scholars who are interested um, in the relationship between uh, Shakta and Shaiva tradition, because they are so linked uh, together, and uh, also those who are interested in the um, interplay between Tantric and Puranic traditions. And I also hope some devotees of the goddess may. Uh, that would be really uh, an achievement for me. If Fulfilling for could, you. Yes, <laughs> could reach also the devotees. Isn't it so fascinating the interplay that um, and and we've had this we've had this with other um, translations and 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 critical editions and whatnot. Isn't it fascinating? What comes to mind is is the the Radha Tantra. Uh, we did a podcast on that uh, that work. It's so fascinating that the interplay of scholarship then being folded back into the life of tradition in this way, where um, English translations may be used uh, in diasporic populations, for example. Uh, that's Is there anything else about the book that you hope we touch on today? Sorry? Anything Is there anything else that you would like to touch on that you, you, that you wanted to say or talk about? Well, I think we have... Perhaps we did not go into details of the some topic, which but that would be too. Uh, yeah, too 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 granular, perhaps. But are there any other um, elements that you want to touch on for the podcast audience, or do you, or do you feel we've we've achieved what we need I, to achieve? I think. I think yes. Swaha. <laughs> Great. So um, um, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Many thanks, Raj. Thank for, those, for those of you listening, we have been speaking with uh, my OCHS colleague, Dr. Sylvia Schwartz, on her brand new um, Rutledge Hindu Studies series publication, Goddess Traditions in India, Theological Poems and Philosophical Tales in the Tripura Rahasya. Um, until next time, keep listening, keep well, and keep contemplating the power of the goddess. Take care.